The text for the sermon this day is taken from Matthew chapter 19, which if you want to pull it out into your pew Bibles, it is on page 980. And so we're beginning at verse 16. So, grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this rich, this young man comes to Jesus and he asks, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? A very appropriate question, kind of. Half of a good question, half of a bad question. The good question is, how does one enter eternal life? Because the reality is, is that every single human being, from the moment you are conceived, you are dying. You are destined for the grave. So the reality is, is that death meets us all. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how. Some old, some young, some in between. What is in common is that we will all meet death. What is on the other side of that? That's the question. Now, there are some in our day that would argue, well, it's, that's just it. You go into the ground, and that's it. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole apologetic, because that's a whole another sermon. But, obviously, being here, we're arguing that there is something beyond. And so the question, again, is, how does one get there? And so the man is asking that question, so that half is right, but half of it is not quite good. We'll come and we'll eventually show why. So as he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. There's the hint of how he, why part of his question was wrong. There is only one who is good, but he's not catching on. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now, what Jesus could have done is he could have come back at him and said, yeah, right, you have not kept this. You shall not murder, so let's see, you shall not murder if you've ever hated someone, if you've ever failed to help someone in need when they needed it, and you were able to help them, you are guilty of murder in your heart. Or you shall not commit adultery if you've ever looked lustfully upon another human being, you have committed adultery with them in your heart. Or how about you shall not bear false witness? Literally any time you lie, even the littlest, tiniest, white lie, you are guilty of that one. Honor your father and mother. Oh, he could have just said, here, let's just bring your parents and say, hey. So did he completely obey you every single moment of his life? And the answer was like, No. I mean, how many of you parents could honestly say your kids never disobeyed you? 
And now parents, raise your hand if you never disobeyed your parents. Okay, so, by the way, if you raised your hand, you're probably on the bare false witness part. So, none of us has kept this. And then he gets to, which, I don't know if you know this, a little trivia, the two greatest commandments, I asked this to our confirmands, and they always, they always try to guess, oh, it's the first commandment, the second commandment. And it's kind of a little bit tricky because the greatest commandments are not in the ten. The, great, the second greatest commandment is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is the summary of commandments four through ten. But Jesus did not mention the greatest commandment. He could have, but he hasn't yet. Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. So right in that question, Understand first that when Jesus asks that, tell, gives that challenge to this man, that is a challenge not to you, not to me, not even to the disciples. It was only to that man. The challenge was to give all that he has to the poor and he will have treasure in heaven. And he walks away sorrowful because he is unwilling to do so. And what Jesus is highlighting, the greatest commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And when the man was given a choice between the treasures of heaven and his earthly wealth, he took his earthly wealth. Jesus was showing that he does not love the Lord his God with all his heart. And he's showing that this man was not as perfect as he thought he was. Now we read this, we might think, what's with this guy? Why didn't he just give it up? And the reality is, is we're not any better. Give you a, just kind of think of this. So Sunday morning comes along. It's, you know, it's time for worship. And you're looking at your schedule, and maybe you got tickets. Let's say you got tickets to a Chiefs game or a Vikings game. And so you, gotta, you decide you're going to leave early in the morning. Or maybe you stay in Kansas City or Minneapolis or whatever. And even though, believe it or not, there are churches in Minneapolis and Kansas City, you don't bother to look at that. You want to make sure you get the best parking spot. And so that, I got these tickets. I got to go to church. I mean, I got to go to the game. I don't. I can't go to church. Or maybe there's a concert going on. Maybe it was the night before. You were up all night and you are just exhausted. I cannot do that. We come up with reasons a plenty. Every time you gather here, God is giving you the treasures of heaven. He gives you His Word. And he gives you his sacrament. He gives you forgiveness. Every time, and I guarantee it, every single one of us regularly 
Every single one of us comes up with reasons to not come. And that's only for an hour. I mean, think about how many, hour, how many hours do we have in a week? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't have a calculator. But let's say even, okay, admittedly, I get long-winded sometimes. So, but even if you go to an hour and a half, let's say we have an hour and a half service, usually it doesn't go that long. But let's just say that that was the case. An hour and a half out of 24 hours in a day and seven days a week, it's actually a really small percentage. And yet, sometimes we have troubles giving that up. We're not any better than that man. We are in the exact same boat. This is why I've talked, again, I've talked about this in our catechism classes. Is this is one of the best ways you can find your idolatry? And by the way, an idol is anything that you put your trust, your time, your money in above God, in place of God. If you want to find it, just find the reasons you don't spend time in prayer, the reasons you don't go to worship. You just, you don't have to look hard to find your idols. And yes, every single one of them have a lot of them. There's a reason why Martin Luther in the large catechism, which, by the way, I believe every Lutheran should read, there's a reason the commandment he spends the most time on is the first. It's because every sin boils down to a failure to keep the first. So, but even beyond that, let's say even beyond that part, let's say, for example, let's say you do decide, okay, I'm going to give it up. And understand, if you're thinking, well, I'm not rich like that guy. Raise your hand if you're an American. Okay, if you're raising your hand, you're rich. The average, average yearly income for the state of Iowa is $53,000 a year. Do you know what the average income is for the entire world? $2,000 a year. So the average person in Iowa makes 26 times more than the average person for the entire planet. I mean, think about this. So a week ago, believe, believe it or not, it was a week ago, it was 91 degrees. How many of you had air conditioning to turn on? Now, it, this morning, it was in the 40s, and I'm not, so I have my windows open. But if you're not crazy like me and you wanted a furnace on, you could do that. I had heated seats on on the way back from the Hinton game. So we have that. And not to mention, I am driving a car. Oh, and by the way, how many of you, we don't have telephones. We don't just have telephones. We don't just have cell phones. We have phones that if while I'm at a, watching a volleyball tournament, I can also be keeping track of the Texas-Oklahoma game while watching it on YouTube TV. Yes, don't worry, I was actually paying attention. I had it mostly on the bench, just during timeouts and stuff. I'm like, what's going on? So, by the way, 49 seconds in football takes longer than 14 points in a volleyball game, I learned. But anyways, um, but anyways, we have all that access. We have running water. I mean, even when we've had those boil warnings, our water is still not as problematic as some of the water in the parts, other parts of the world. 
And yet that's the only thing they have. They don't have running water to stand in a shower. They have to dump buckets on their head. They have to go grab a bucket, pour it, and probably that water is not exactly good, and they'll use that to, to cook their food and everything. We're rich, every one of us. And yet, if we were to give the, take that challenge, now understand, Jesus is not giving you that challenge, but let's say he did, we would get down to that last $100, and we'd be like, oh, how am I going to survive? If I give this up, how can I make it? You know that would be our thought. Because we're ultimately failing to trust him. If God himself gave us that challenge, I guarantee it that most of us couldn't give, it, give in. Most of us would want to hold on. Maybe it might be down to that last dollar, but we will want to hold on to something. Because we don't believe we'll be taken care of. We are no different than this man. So verse 23, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Which, you know, if you've ever wondered, Jesus does have a sense of humor. Because I guarantee it, when he said that, everyone's like, Okay, how do you get an, a camel through the eye of a needle? And people are probably trying to run that through their mind. Okay, do you start with the tail and you start putting it in? By the way, if, if you go on to Google, there's a lot of great comic strips about people, like if guys trying to like, like catapult a camel through the eye of a needle or whatever. Which, by the way, technically, there is a possibility that the eye of a needle refers to a door that is in Jerusalem which is like a door that's only for really short people. So either way, it's a very comedic image to start to imagine it and think it. But at the same time as he's using this analogy, the disciples are frightened. Because at this point, Jesus has, has said, has shown that the Pharisees are not good enough for eternity, that the scribes are not good enough for salvation, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, these are the groups of people who are the models of righteousness, and he is telling them that they are not good enough, and now he is telling them that the rich person is not good enough. So the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. By the way, those words, you've probably seen Mark's account of it in, on a lot of bookmarks and everything. With God, all things are possible. Usually people will put that in like, okay, I'm going to go play a football game. With God, all things are possible. That means we're going to win this game. I mean, yes, that is possible with God. But that's not the context of that verse. Right there, you heard the context of it. It was in response to a question of how, who can be saved, which is a much bigger question than who's going to win the football game. I love football, and I'm pretty certain, I've, I've known the, 
the sorrows of cheering for the Vikings, but there are far, far more important things than what happens in any athletic competition. Because the reality, again, is every single one of us is destined for the grave. And what is going to happen when we get there? If we, were, if we believe, like that man, that rich man, that we could be good enough to be saved, you're going to be in trouble. Because your reality is, no, you are not. Just want to give you a test of how, if you ever want to have a test of how broken you are, how sinful you are, how many of you, if I could attach a radio to your forehead, so that every single person could hear the thoughts in your mind would want me to do that. None of us. Because not, and it's not just because of the goofy, weird things we think. It's because of the things that we're ashamed that we think. Now there's a lot of things in the world that keeps us from acting on those thoughts. But there is no doubt that the sinfulness runs deep in us. Salvation by man's work is impossible. But see, that's why Jesus came. Because what was impossible for man, Jesus made possible. By shedding his blood on the cross, Jesus gave his very self, his very body, his very life, all of his glory, all of his might, all of his power to you, for you, that you would have the impossible, that you would have salvation. The question isn't, what must I do to be saved, or what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question is, what has God done that I may turn? obtain eternal life. And if you ever wonder the question, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And if you ever wonder, does that include you? For one, you live in the world, okay? So yes, that includes you, that he died for you. But your baptism, such a wonderful gift, do any of you happen to know when your baptism birthday is? Some of you, it's more recent than others. But when you are baptized, that's a wonderful gift. That water, it's a thing that by faith, it's, faith literally means you grab hold of it. So it is a thing that God has given you to grab hold of and say, yes, I am saved because baptism saves. I was baptized into the name of God. Therefore, I am saved by the blood of Christ Jesus. The Word, these scriptures, this Bible that we keep opening up throughout the weeks. Did you know, I don't know if you know this, but this Bible, if I come back here next week, it's going to say the exact same words. Did you know that? And all of your Bibles have the same words. And if you pull out your cell phone, you decide to pull out Bible Gateway or whatever, you know what? It'll say the same words. If you, went, if you f somehow stumbled upon Doc Brown's DeLorean and you went back in time and you learned how to do Greek or whatever, 
and you picked up an original manuscript of the Bible, you would basically see the exact same words. And so the, the word is something that God has given you to grab hold of, to read, to look at, and see, yes, this does not change. And he gives you this feast, the impossible feast. Bread, that's the body of Jesus. The wine, that's the blood of Jesus. Why does Jesus give the command to often receive it? Why does he expect you to receive it often in faith? Because you need it. Because it's for your good, for your benefit. Because salvation is delivered to you. You get to taste it. You get to smell it. You get to touch it. It's something tangible, physical, that God has given to you. So you ever wonder, am I forgiven? Do I have life? You've tasted it. You've touched it. You've smelt it. And you might be thinking, well, sometimes you might think, well, I already know that I'm forgiven. I don't need to be reminded again and again. All right, let's try this. I've already told my wife that I love her. I don't need to, I told her I loved her when we got married. That is enough. Is that enough? No. You need to keep hearing it. Because if you don't hear it enough, guess what you begin to do? You begin to forget it and you begin to doubt it. Jesus calls you here to keep being fed. Now, you might be wondering, what does this all have to do with giving? Now, this is obviously all about gospel. Salvation is by the work of Christ. You are not saved by works. You don't give so that God can love you more. And I know there are preachers that they could, if there are preachers that fill churches that are literally basketball arenas. I mean, and I mean NBA arenas. And they will stand there and tell you, if you put enough money in the offering plate, God is going to bless you. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you that because that would be a lie. Granted, okay, that might get more money into the, into the offering. That might get more people in church. For some reason, that's attractive. But it would be a lie. And you would not be happy with me when you realize it's a lie. Why do you give? Why do you give to the mission of the church? Why do you give to this congregation? Why, right now we're in budget season, why are we mindful of what the budget goes to? Why, are we, why do we support, like, Mission Central? Which we are very fortunate to have that only a half hour away. Why do we support Orphan Grain Train? Why do we support all these things? Because for one, the world is broken. We need to support people who serve those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who are starving, those who are cold, those who are not fortunate to live in a country like us. But secondly, everyone is destined for the grave. Everyone is dying. And the only hope on the other side of the grave is the blood of Jesus. And how are they to know unless someone is sent? How are they to know unless someone preaches? Unfortunately, in this world, things cost money. If we want it, I don't know about you, but I can't readily get to Kenya, for example. But Shara, who our congregation supports, is there. 
bringing the gospel and serving people. That is how we bring the gospel to the world. That's how we bring it to the nations. And that's how we make sure that the good work, the goodness of the word, the goodness of the sacrament continues to be administered here. Because with that, yes, even that the, the giving, the offering which you give unto Christ, give unto the church, unto the mission, yes, he gives you the treasures of heaven. He gives you sacrament. He gives you word. This is why in the early church, the way they did offering, they didn't have money like we do now. They didn't have that kind of currency. What they would do is they'd be bringing forth food. I mean, they'd actually, that's kind of one of the reasons they had incense, because people would actually bring forth cattle, and they'd put it around the altar. It got a little stinky, so that's why they needed incense. But one, of the, one family every week was charged they had to bring forth the bread and the wine for communion. It was a reminder that with the very thick gifts you bring forth to the church, God feeds you the blessings of heaven. It's a visible, active reminder of that. He serves you. He blesses you. And he calls us to make it possible for others. And the thing, and one final thing. When we heard, the reason why Cain and Abel's in there, you kind of might be wondering, are we talking about murder? No, we're not talking about murder. But, why was Cain's offering lesser than Abel's? Because Cain gave an offering. Now, as he had a pile of produce, he said, oh, okay, let's just take this, give it to God. Abel got the firstborn. Firstborn is a sign of faith because he doesn't know there's a secondborn. By giving that firstborn, you're trusting that God's going to keep feeding you. So what comes with, when it comes to stewardship, our giving of our time, our talent, our treasures, God does not ask for an offering. He asks your first. That's kind of why Sunday is when we worship the, pretty much the first hour we're awake of the week, is you are committing the first hour, the first fruit of your time to him and trusting that he's going to carry you through the rest of it. We have this mindset that we got, oh, I got so much going on in my life and I got to find a way to fit God into my life. No. It should be i got to put God down, and now I've got to fit the rest of my life around him. And the reason you do that is because you trust him, that he will bless the rest of it. He gives you strength for the rest of it. He helps you endure. He gives you the treasures of heaven. May we live in that treasure. May we share it with our neighbor until he returns. In Jesus' name, amen.